Have you tried Music to Code by yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, on opposite sides of the North American continent today, as it usually is. Yeah, our normal way of working, right? Yeah, that's right. I don't know if people remember that uh, how we do this and make it sound like we're in the same room, but essentially you're recording uh, your microphone, I'm recording mine. Yep. We're all connected via Skype and phone, and then uh, you send us your wave file and we sync it up. It's pretty yeah. low-tech, actually. After exploring many other ways to do it over the years, this is the simplest way. And the most reliable. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, anyway, enough about that. We have something completely different for mm -hmm. Better No Framework today. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? Okay, this being show 1422. If you go to 1422.pwop.me, you will see this really cool tool. Written by Tor Groening. Sorry if I mangled your name, Tor or Tor A, T-O-R-E. But this is a great blog post, and it's from the blog as a consultant in the UK. Hmm. Posh Arm, something completely different. He says, I needed a project for my Christmas holiday, and I needed something remotely work-related. Thus, the dubious Posh Arm PowerShell module was born and brought to life during my Christmas holiday. Simply put is a module that lets you build, for now, simple Azure Resource Manager, or ARM, templates with PowerShell. That's cool. Yeah. The module can also import templates from a file or from the clipboard or string, you know, clipboard string. Your partial template or ready-made template can be exported as a PowerShell script, and the blog post walks you through how to use it and the features currently implemented. And there's an update as of February 2017 that the module is now published to the PowerShell gallery. Nice. Well, and this is all about that cattles versus pets mentality, right? That totally. You create your VMs with these templates so that you've never updated a VM. You just update a template and build a new one. Yep. That's really cool, man. Yep. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff like this around, but people people build themselves their tools, their yeah. tool sets. You know, and this is a perfect example of that. Building it with PowerShell. Yeah. So Love it. that's what I got, Richard. Who's talking to us today? Grab your comment off of show 1376, the one we did with Mr. Hunter, Scott Hunter, mm -hmm. right after the Connect event in November of 2016. And we should just be honest here. We recorded it before the Connect event and published it as the show was going on yep. because we get to do those kinds of things. Yeah. And uh, this comment comes from Juan Pablo Tarquino. Who said, after watching some of the 2016 Connect sessions, I had the weird feeling that when they say .NET, they really mean C-sharp only. It seems like there was no mention of F-sharp 
Or did I miss some sessions on the future of F-Sharp? Which begs the question, is F-Sharp going to be supported as a first-class citizen in the brave new world of .NET Core and .NET Standard? Hmm. And uh, I know, and you know, that in the end, Roslyn is actually a runtime for C-Sharp, F-Sharp, and VB.NET. So they are all going to be supported. That's right. Um, But I do think the samples get written in C-Sharp first. Yeah, they do. That's just the way it goes. Yeah. Although with the new docs.microsoft.com, if you want to translate C-Sharp channels into F-Sharp, you can and contribute them to the main body of the docs. Yeah. So everybody contribute. I did some spelling mistake corrections just the other day. <laughs> Can't help yourself, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm an editor by nature, right? As right. soon as I see it wrong, I have to fix it. Yep. And and you literally, you can be that reflexive. You, I'm reading a doc. I'm like, oh, you spelled that incorrectly. Flip into edit mode. You sign in with GitHub. Make your contribution. And it was accepted within minutes. Wow. So, you know, you really can add to all that. So, Juan Pablo, I hope that answers your question. And thank you so much for being concerned about that. Because I think it's important that we know these languages have a future going forward. I certainly believe they do. And there's lots going on there. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. Because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And, you know, send us a tweet because we won't edit them. We promise. (laughs) Even though we won't correct your grammar, we'll just read them the way they are. Uh, Sometimes. Sometimes. S-I-C. I I need to paraphrase. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, bring back to the show uh, for, for, wow, it's been a long time since Tim's been on the show, but let's talk to Tim Sneath. He leads a team at Microsoft focused on Visual Studio acquisition and extensibility. I'll tell you what that means. His mission is to see developers create stunning applications built on the Microsoft platform and to persuade his mother that her computer is not an enemy. (laughs) Although it seems that way at times, doesn't it? (laughs) Amongst other strange obsessions, Tim collects vintage releases of Windows and has a near-complete set of shrink-wrapped copies that date back to the late 80s. Welcome back, Tim. Hey, guys. It feels like ages since we last spoke. It really (laughs) has been. (laughs) We're talking about Silverlight and other stuff. Oh, my goodness me. Please don't. The uh, scars are still healing. Uh, Back to 2007. Now, Silverlight's not dead or anything. I still (laughs) use it. I'm using it right now, as a matter of fact, to upload uh, my files from the last show we recorded. Me too. And I just freshly rebuilt a machine for my recording machine and had to install Silverlight again and just went boop, boop, worked like a charm. You have to use IE to do it. Because that's the only browser to still allow it. No, Firefox does too. Oh, Firefox? Excellent. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. it's it's still out there, man. Yeah. We love it. <laughs> and I think we're realizing the dream of Silverlight, which is we flipped .NET as a moniker for uh, that used to be all about Windows with a lot of languages. And now it's about, you know, three or four languages and uh, running everywhere. Well, I mean, since you're going there, it's it's worth kind of starting that that Silverlight wasn't really the beginning of that toll road. It all began with what was codenamed Avalon, uh, which became WPF, right? And that, of course, is uh, very much still with us and a core part of our um, development platform. And and really, what it brought us is XAML and a declarative form of uh, of markup for Windows apps that uh, has 
has followed us all the way into Windows Phone and then into Windows 10 with the UWP platform. And uh, so, um, you know, whilst the Silverlight brand may not be uh, uh, the thing, the uh, the core concepts behind all this stuff is is absolutely the center of our future direction for uh, Windows. And, uh, you know, it, the, the, the stuff in Visual Studio 2017 just continues to get better and better around XAML designing and debugging. We've got uh, Edit and Continue and a whole bunch of other new features. So XAML is very, very healthy. And maybe many people may not know this, but um, the the markup that is used for native iOS and Android apps is also just a flavor of XML. I mean, this is a really good idea, markup as XML. Yeah, well, of course, it's, uh, you know, you can also look at HTML as well, which on the website is 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 really where the future is when when uh, we started building this stuff out you know you 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 build and then um different things start to become more and more effective and you know we're just excited by how uh html5 has developed as well as as a platform for yeah. building very rich sophisticated apps um and uh, so you know some of the stuff you see in in our own products uh, the new microsoft teams app that's uh, that's built itself using using the power of uh, uh html5 and uh, rich javascript and now typescript extends that still further yeah xaml and c sharp are never go- aren't going away they seem to be the core ingredients i found a video the other day that was shortly after wpf came out when they were talking about we will make a wpf for the web like this, this shall come to pass, even before they were calling it extensions, much less Silverlight. So it, it almost seems like it was part of the Avalon plan all along. And it, it only seems more true today than, than it's ever been. Well, it was initially called WPF something, wasn't it? Yeah, it's WPFE. E, yeah. And even before that, we had something which we called the XAML Browser Application Platform, or XBAP. Uh, and you could run loose uh, loose XAML within a browser. So uh, hmm. yeah, these concepts have been around for a while. But uh, but yeah, the, the the name for the for the technology might change, but the concept is is very much part of our, our past and our future. And speaking of changes, you have some new stuff in Visual Studio to talk about, do you not? Yeah, well, this is uh, you know this is a very apposite time for a for a call. We're just uh, launching this week as the show goes out to Visual Studio 2017. Yep. Uh, with wave of new features, um, I, I don't get to claim credit for much of it, but uh, but the the areas that my team has been working on are uh, the, the two you mentioned, uh, the new setup experience um, uh, or acquisition, if you like. We're trying to make Visual Studio leaner, meaner, lighter uh, to install, less system impactful. Um, and secondly, we're looking at uh, the extensibility model, uh, making it easier to build rich extensions that take Visual Studio beyond its uh, uh, core feature set and mm-hmm. enable you to own custom extensions. Yeah, and that was the interesting word, acquisitions. It may not be obvious what that means to the to the casual listener. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we use the word acquisition just to mean you know, how do we, um, how do you acquire the product? And, and, you know, how do we hopefully acquire loyal, engaged customers for Visual Studio? Because that's our, that's our goal. We want uh, people to be successful using Visual Studio for all their uh, development needs. I certainly noticed with the release candidate that 2017 comes down in a hurry. It, it, it downloads a quick installer and then it asks you a few questions and then it shows up. Yeah, so we completely uh, retooled the entire setup engine with Visual Studio 2017. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you remember the old 
uh, black uh, Visual Studio setup that we had in uh, the previous uh, few releases. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty heavy duty, shall, shall I say. It was just large, wasn't it? Like, how big was it? Yeah, the, so the default install, in fact, the minimum install in Visual Studio 2015 was six gigabytes in size. Right. And Visual Studio just contains a lot of stuff, right? If you think about yeah. all the things you can do with it, everything from C Sharp, WinForms, WPF, uh, things like web development, uh, increasingly things like Python or other languages like that, C++, uh, IoT, all these different capabilities. So, so it's a big product. It contains all of these different things. And we were trying to figure out a way of uh, making it easier to um, uh, install and less less impactful. So we did a bunch of things with VS 2017. We, we started by trying to componentize the products. And so we've been through the entire uh, set of components that we install and really worked to separate out which are the things that are super core to every installation, the things like the shell itself, obviously the text editor, the code editor, uh, those are things that every installation of Visual Studio needs. And then we work to break up all the other various subcomponents uh, such that you can only install the bits that, that you need. Um, and and that's, that's had a huge impact in how you get Visual Studio 2017. Uh, now we ship a core editor, as we call it, which is just the that, that sort of central foundational components. And that's about uh, 500 megabytes, depending on how you break it up and look at it. Okay. Uh, and uh, based off the pre-release versions of Visual Studio, that installs in uh, about three to five minutes. And so it gets you up and running really fast with the base uh, pieces. And then we have this concept of what we call a workload. And a workload basically represents a common kind of community or programming task like UWP development or uh, web development or C++ mm. uh, development or games development. Mm. And you can install one or as many as, you know, 16, 17 workloads to represent the different kinds of programming activity you're going to use Visual Studio for. And then we just go and tailor that install to be optimized for that uh, set of uh, programming tasks. Then the idea, I guess, is that uh, a sort of an on-demand installation rather than try to anticipate everything you're going to be doing up front. Right. So you can start small and then uh, you can go to, you know, the uh, quick launch bar at the top right-hand corner. Yeah. You can just go up there and you can type in the thing that you want to do. Like if I want to do some Django development on Python, I can just type in Django um, and uh, it'll pop up with the, uh, with the Python uh, workload and uh, install that uh, for you. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah, well, that that experience alone should make a lot of people happy. And I guess not the old salts like us, because we'll use Visual Studio because that's what we use. But uh, certainly people who are coming to it for the first time, you know, it's it's more uh, more agile, uh, easier to use, faster to install. That's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's another thing we did at the same time. We We were focusing not just on making it fast to install, but also to try and make it... Uh, less system impactful. You know, one of the other challenges is with all these different components that we install, uh, how do we make Visual Studio uh, integrate less deeply with the underlying Windows environment so it's easier to uninstall, easier to update, uh, less uh, um, impactful in terms of multiple versions? Because the other thing we want to try and do is to make it easy to get from from a build to another build very quickly. And so in in 2017, what we've done is we've taken 
a lot of the areas where we would where we would normally have had an MSI in the past, uh, and we've we've used a variety of different features to uh, isolate those from the core system. For example, um, there's a feature that MSR has called registry detours, which essentially redirects registry requests to uh, a private uh, hive. So if you look at a, a machine with VS 2017 installed on, you can go to the VS Hive uh, and in, in the registry, an HKEY current user, and you won't see any um, anything more than just a couple of individual uh, keys there. Everything else gets moved into a separate private registry.bin file that is stored along with the instance of Visual Studio. So when you uninstall it, it doesn't uh, take the whole thing. It, it it just uninstalls that component and leaves the uh, the registry intact. Windows has been doing this for a while, right? I mean, essentially lying to badly behaved apps <laughs> and saying, you know, I mean, even down to stuff like writing to INI files in System 32, you could still do it as an app. It just doesn't actually happen. You know, Windows goes, yeah, okay, no problem, and sticks that in the app data folder somewhere associated with the user right. and that and that application. Then when you look for it, it just goes and fetches it from there. That's why we had right. these layers of abstraction. We wondered why we needed them back then. Somebody was thinking ahead. <laughs> yeah, so that's, I mean, that's a slightly different feature, but it's, it's part of the compact framework that Windows has because, as you know, there are apps that are 20 years old that still run on Windows, and so you have to... Uh, support that kind of uh, capability, um, but but even for modern apps, there's a there's value in being able to isolate them from the underlying environments, and so this this just provides us a means not only of uh, isolating it, but also to be able to run if you like. So so one of the advanced features of VS 2017 is you can run uh, two inst- instances side by side, uh, one from the other. So yeah, you know by day I'm building I don't know a corporate ASP.NET. Uh, intranet sites, but in the evening I'm writing, I don't know, uh, Android app or something like that. I can actually just separate those two things out and run them as separate uh, instances and keep all the all the data, all the configuration, everything entirely separate from each other. That's cool. And, and, and important, I mean, I've gone so far as to have separate VMs for dev mm-hmm. environments for certain customers, just so that I know that the thing's sort of clean. Uh, it makes me wonder if the future will be containers for all of that too. Yeah, I mean, containers provide a great solution for uh, at least sort of server workloads, right? Um, yeah. Today, um, moving forward, yeah, there's 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 something to be said for that. Just real clean isolation. Containers on the desktop. That would be so awesome. <laughs> well, of course, it's all built into Windows 10 now. Anyway, yeah. If you install the Creators update. You have the ability to uh, use Docker for Windows and create your own custom containers mm-hmm. but even stuff in project centennial right the capabilities of taking a win32 app and packaging it up for the windows store a lot of that is also around uh isolation and uh containment of uh the various different aspects of the application environment yeah that's right so the whole idea is you can take any win32 app any net app package it up put it in the windows store and then when it downloads and runs it runs inside of a its own uh container virtualized environment that's, yeah. that's kind of yeah yeah it's really interesting you know just to think i mean, i don't want to think past what you've already done in the studio but it's like i know there's more versions coming that this is going to take a hold and and change and continue to change stuff but i do i mean we've had side by side with the framework now since was it four or four or five where finally we just run side by side and it wasn't a big deal yes it's around that time frame i forget yeah. exactly the version itself yeah 
but now it's like you've got the same effect of essentially happening with Studio, where we can have separate installs and configurations, and it's not a big deal. And now we have different right. versions of Studio, um, you know, with that brand anyway, different products, Visual Studio Code and Visual Studio for the Mac. That must make life interesting for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they're all, they all serve different purposes, right? So yeah. Visual Studio for the Mac, of course, uh, came out of the Xamarin acquisition, and uh, that that brings the the core power of the IDE to different platforms. VS Code is is really designed to be the best programmer's text editor. That's what we're trying to achieve with that. Yeah. So it's not intended to be like a full IDE. There's no visual designers or things like that. Yeah. Um, but we want that to be something that uh, complements the, the, the Visual Studio IDE very naturally. So you can flip backwards and forwards from one to the other. And, and that's what a lot of people find, you know, certain workloads or certain kinds of tasks really work well with that uh, paradigm of of a, of a lightweight text editor that composes with other command line tools. Uh, for other things like obviously building a rich Windows application, people want an integrated suite of all the tools together. And so we're, we're, we're trying to solve for each of these different problems with, with a, a good family of different tools. Or even building a multi-tier web application. I mean, if you've got, uh, you know, a database and a web API and a, and a MVC, and uh, JavaScript layers to all do at the same time, you know, Visual Studio is is obviously the the right choice, isn't it? Right, right. Well, and we've got a whole bunch of other um, features coming in around that DevOps uh, lifecycle as well in Visual Studio 2017. Yeah. Uh, and make it easier to be able to bring the DevOps mindset directly into the into the code. So things like live unit testing. I don't know if you guys have seen seen that feature. No. Tell us. The live unit testing basically takes the unit tests that you've already written and applies them as you, as you code. So uh, you get on the left-hand side in that editor margin, you get uh, a, a, a visual way of seeing which tests have been run against that line of code and which succeed or fail. So you can literally look in the margin of your, your code as you're continuing to edit it. And in the background, we're running those unit tests that you've already created to make sure that you can pick up uh, errors at that earliest stage. Um, so, so the testing isn't something that happens at a later stage of the life cycle. It happens right up front as you're going through the, the process. This feels like you've just taken that whole syntax validation to another level, right? We, you, know, <laughs> you put a little squiggly under, it was like, ah, it's not quite right. Now you literally have a check mark or an X beside lines of code to go, did pass, didn't pass, or there's another mark if there's no code coverage. Right, right. Yeah, so taking those kind of capabilities and bringing them directly into the editing process, and that's part of the DevOps mindset, right? Of 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 getting uh, the the development stage, the testing stage, the operation operations stage of the project um, to be part of an integrated lifecycle. And so there's other things that we've done in Visual Studio 27 to support that. Also, uh, the work we've done around Docker, we've done some things uh, with Redgate around database de- DevOps. Um, so again, that's where the IDE really starts to play a role. It brings all these different elements together into one integrated development environment. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And it's just new levels of integration. Uh, I know Carl's a huge fan of code lens. It's, it's hard to resist yeah. just that ability when you have to, especially when you have to read code you haven't looked at for a while and be able to see how things going together and who made changes and so forth. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, huge visibility to that. And I, and I got nothing bad to say about Visual Studio Code. I mean, for a long time, I've been using code just to jump in and edit a file because, it's, you know, when you just want to poke into one, you know, code file or anything like that, make a couple of changes and keep going, that's a real quick way to go about it. Visual Studio has a bit more ceremony with the project than the solution wrapped around it. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, you, you're hitting another feature in VS 2017 of... Uh, uh, open folder. So that's, uh, yeah, that's something else we added to 2017. Uh, so in the past, you'd have to create, uh, your own separate solution to be able to, uh, work with a, with a project. You know, you create a solution, you'd have a project and solution. Those, those container uh, files would represent the state of the, of the solution as a whole. Uh, now we've got this, this new feature called open folder, which lets you just say, just point Visual Studio out a folder. And just like VS Code, say, show me the contents of that folder and work with it. Nice. Um, and the C++ team are using that pretty heavily right now because, of course, a lot of C++ projects don't come with a, a, a VS project. They use things like CMake or other make files to, to uh, drive the actual project structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so Open Folder basically lets you open a, a project of almost any size and say, okay, give me... Give me what, what you've got there. Give me what you find. Um, and that works well with another feature that we started to add in a couple of the feature updates of VS 2015, which is support for TextMate bundles. Um, so TextMate bundles are these uh, reg, reg expression-based constructs for, for languages that let you essentially say, I know, Ruby this is what a Ruby uh, language looks like. These are the keywords. This is what a, a string looks like. This is a, a control flow uh, structure. Um, and mm. so the two together mean you can do file open folder and open up a random project file that you've cloned from GitHub or something like that. Uh, and then you can interpret it with the, with the, the TextMate bundles. And we support about 20 languages out of the wow. box now. Things like Swift, uh, Objective C, uh, Rust, Ruby, even uh, Bash shell scripts. Now, Visual wow. Studio supports the box with these these TextMate bundles. Wow, um, indeed. Demos that I like to do is I'll I'll just git clone the Linux kernel source tree and just do file open folder on that, and I can actually work for the whole thing within Visual Studio. And regardless of whether it's a make file or a shell script or or of course the, the swathes of C code that are in there. You can work with it very naturally in Visual Studio without creating a project or a solution. That's fantastic. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? It uh, must be that happy time again. You got it. It's time to announce support here at .NET Rocks for live joke unit testing. Oh. Let's try it out. Hey, guys. How many software developers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Answer? It depends. Ah. Uh, fail. Fail. <laughs> hey, it works. <laughs> How cool is that? It's actually time to give away a D experience subscription from our friends at Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. 
Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Gregor Gonella. Congratulations, Gregor. Yes. All clap for you, sir. Yes, and Gregor just won a big pile of awesome from Developer Express, the D-Experience subscription, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you have to sign up to win. All right, Tim, it's your turn. If you had five grand to spend today on technology, what do you think you'd buy? Oh, gosh, 5000 And And I don't have to kind of get my wife's approval to spend it. This is just like no, free no, money. This is not your money. Somebody says, let's go shopping. You got a budget oh, of five grand. Wow. I like the sound of that. Um, well, we've just moved into a new house. Um, and uh, so I'm going a bit crazy on home automation stuff right now. Nice. Uh, you know, things like motorized blinds and uh, uh, light switches and, and the Sonos uh, sounds uh, speaker systems. Yeah. So, so yeah, that would be my thing. Um, if I could uh, get a few more Sonos devices and uh, um, you know a bit of IFTTT automation, that kind of stuff. Awesome, gadgety. Yeah, I'm hacked into your house right now. It looks really cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was wondering why the blinds kept going up and down. There you go. <laughs> Might I say you have a really nice bedroom? Close. <laughs> 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 Oh, you know, I like to keep it real. So we were talking about these new languages that the editor can support. Obviously, this is essentially just text editing with uh, formatting, right? Yeah, it actually goes a little bit further than that. You, so it's it's uh, basic text editing. It's got support for um, syntax colorization. It supports uh, IntelliSense. And it supports snippets. So there's a there's a few things you can do with it just using the intelligence built into the regular expressions. We interpret it and use it to integrate more deeply with yeah. Visual Studio. Um, but the other nice thing is you can create your own ones of these, right? So out of the box, we, as I said, we ship about 20. But there's there's hundreds of, of these uh, floating around. Um, and you can just go and drop it in your user profile folder uh, for a language of your choice. Let's say you're on a Haskell spree or something like that. You yeah. can go and take Haskell and just embed that in your folder. Now, if you had a, a compiler for any of these things, could you incorporate those compilation um, directives into your uh, build process? <laughs> well, that's kind of that's kind of the next step. Um, and so the the answer is kind of yes, right? You can create your own custom uh, MS build task, um, but but that's really where you start to move into the um, land of extensions, right? If you want to create your own custom menu commands and you want to integrate into uh, the IDE more deeply, that's exactly what an extension's for. Yeah. Um, so we've been working quite hard in this release at uh, improving the extensibility model and making it possible for people to to create new extensions for Visual Studio that start to deliver on uh, all the things that we just can't get to in, in the product itself. And that includes things like new languages. Right. Yeah, and it's it's just interesting to think about using Visual Studio without using .NET, which you know you're, you're sort of talking about. When we start talking about languages like Ruby, that's right. JVM. And when you think about what .NET means, it doesn't mean Windows anymore. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's like a double disconnect. <laughs> that's that's very true. Well, uh, yeah, you know, as you know, we're going now at the 25th anniversary of Visual Studio. If we go all the way back to 
or sorry, 20th anniversary of Visual Studio. If we go back to um, when we started back in uh, 97, the very first Visual Studio existed, of course, before .NET was even born. Um, right. I, I remember going and doing presentations on Visual Interdev. Do you guys remember that? Sure, I do. Yeah. That's the kind of like the old ASB ASP programming language. And, uh, In fact, just a couple of days ago, we talked with Julia Luisan about the whole history of Visual Studio and Interdev came up and I think we even made some jokes. They were actually <laughs> funny. I think I said front page extensions and we all got chills. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, well, let's move on from that. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Got to be quite enough of that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, but yeah, so so you know, being able to create things with Visual Studio now with this core editor baseline, um, you know, you can you could give yourself a, an environment for something like Haskell programming um, in in just that sort of couple of hundred megabytes of the core product. So we've really made it much more attractive for that kind of custom developments, regardless of what platform you're targeting. I remember in the early days of .NET, I mean, we're talking about the very first beta, The one of the big selling points of .NET was how it supported all of these different languages. And there was about 20 languages, including Haskell and including COBOL, Fujitsu, COBOL.NET. And yeah. uh, I even think Erlang was in there somewhere. I don't know Erlang. I'm trying to think. It was, it was, it was called Pro Project 7 or something like that. I forget the actual name of it, but it was, you're right, there was a whole project to bring uh, cross-compilation from a variety of different languages to .NET. Um, and some of those are still around. You, you can, uh, Fujitsu still do um, their COBOL compiler. Intel have a Fortran compiler. Um, it's the wackiest thing. You can build a WPF app with COBOL. Um, That's and awesome. uh, It's all, all there. That's so cool. I know the, langu the old language, Bertrand Meyer, Eiffel. Oh, Eiffel. That's what it was. It was. Eiffel. Which was like one of the original uh, object-oriented languages back in the day, and there was a .NET version of it. Yeah, yeah. But of course, the way we've kind of moved forward, you know, because and that was the days of things like Iron Python as well, where you know you had Python .NET interoperability very tightly with Python um, being essentially an, another citizen of the CLR. Yeah. Um, but now we've moved to this world where. We don't really care if you want to, if you want to target .NET, then that's great. But we also want Visual Studio to be the best environment for uh, any other language, regardless of whether its ultimate disposition is is the .NET framework or not. Wow, that's amazing! And you know, it's a great uh, a great goal to have, and um, certainly it's been done uh, up to this point. But I mean, now that we've got Roslyn in there and we've got uh, all of this abstraction. It should make it a lot easier to happen at a very deep level, and, and I'm talking about debugging and everything. If if somebody writes a a, a plugin or an add-in for to support their language, they can have full access to the debugger and everything, right? Yeah, I mean that's the great thing about Visual Studio. It's so modular. It's so open. It really is a, a programmer's tool in that regard. So um, you can create an extension that targets almost any aspect of the. Uh, environment, whether it's a new language or a debugger extension uh, or or an editor uh, productivity enhancement. Uh, my team has just finished working on the updated version of uh, PPT, as it was uh, often called, productivity power tools, which is just a set of different editor enhancements um, that uh, we're going to ship again with 2017. Uh, most of them are open source. They're all out there on GitHub. 
Uh, we've done some work with this release also to remap some of the keyboard commands so that if you're coming from somewhere like ReSharper, um, we've got a whole bunch of new keyboard shortcuts to make it much easier to move uh, forward. So all that stuff kind of just comes out of the extensibility support. And so it, it's not tough to build one of these if you if you know C Sharp or you're you know comfortable with with writing that kind of thing. And all the stuff is up on aka.ms slash extend vs. That's our kind of homepage for extending Visual Studio, aka.ms slash extend vs. And uh, there's links there to samples, documentation, um, other guidance on how to build a Visual Studio extension. So we hope that people will will just scratch their own personal itch with Visual Studio. If it's not doing something the way you want it to, then make it do it. It's all it's all code. Nice. Actually, you and uh, Robert Green did a couple of videos on Channel Nine about making extensions. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we built. I can't remember which one it was that we built, but uh, we built one live on air. Um, I created something to uh, um, go and oh, it was it was to create a GitHub gist. That's what it was. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, very easy to do. We just grab the text and uh, use the GitHub web service and create a gist out of it. Well, and it, it used to be that you would think that making extensions for Visual Studio is really something for the 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 Dev Express's Telerix of the world, right? That that's what they did, right? They the code right. rush and refactor and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, and, and and they, you know, of course, that's also a very rich um, element of it. If you if you if you're not wanting to actually create your own one, uh, there are thousands of them already out there. And uh, we've just shipped a new. Uh, we've up, updated the the the, um, the store, if you like, where you go and get your extensions. So we now have this site called Visual Studio Marketplace, and that that brings together extensions for Visual Studio, for Visual Studio Code, uh, for Visual Studio Team Services, all under one uh, roof. So you can now just go and grab an extension uh, for for whichever one you like. And there's already about a thousand extensions for Visual Studio. 2017, even even at this point as we're releasing it. And I do like that it's, I mean, lots of these are free. Some of them are trials, and then I guess you, you upgrade mm-hmm. to a full version. But, yeah. uh, you know, in the old days, we used to just used to put all the stuff in the box, you know, back when there was a box. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the delineation between what is in-box and out-of-box is obviously changing these days. You know, we've... Sure. Uh, um, when, when you're downloading most of the stuff from the internet anyway, we can experiment a little bit with what, what the, that boundary looks like. So there's a couple of things um, that uh, uh, we're, we're including with Visual Studio that are uh, extensions. For example, the PowerShell tools for Visual Studio, they always used to be a third-party extension, and enough people in that DevOps model just want to use them. We've just included that directly within Visual Studio. Right. Now, there's some new features for Azure development that make it a lot easier to create cloud-first applications. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of those? Yeah. Um, probably the biggest thing that we've done in that space, uh, aside from uh, moving things directly into the core products, is uh, this new feature we're calling Connected Services. Um, so Connected Services lets you uh, very quickly add support for whether it's Azure or Office 365 into your, into your project. So a bit like a regular reference, you know, you can reference a, a com or a .NET component. Now you can go to that same place, right-clicking on the project's uh, node and choose connected services. Um, and uh, that lets you uh, do things like quickly uh, connect to an Azure storage uh, a service. 
um, or to leverage an Office 365 API. Uh, and, and when you select that, it takes care of all the painstaking work of you know, security credentials and signing in and tokens and all the rest. Okay. And lets you get straight into the nitty gritty. So, so is this sort of like a, a, a higher level NuGet thing where instead of having to know the string of the NuGet project, you just say, you know, add this support for this particular technology and all the details get worked out? Yeah, kind of. It, it's, it's almost more like an opinionated sort of configuration. So I can go and, 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 let, let's say that I wanted to grab contacts out of an Office 365 door. I can just right-click, select that uh, choice, um, provision it appropriately, and then the code is already uh, embedded in my code, so I can oh. go and just, just manipulate the objects. So it's not just the libraries that you need, but it's also sample code and and, a, and essentially a complete uh, implementation of what the things that you need to do. So there's code that comes with it. Right, right. Getting wow. you up and running with the with the core of the experience of 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 the um, uh, integration. I like that. Wow, oh, make a huge difference. Yeah, huge difference, especially for some of that stuff. Yeah, and the difficult thing for me about um, developing for anything uh, on either Azure, AWS, or cloud stuff, or anything that's sort of new, is that all the documentation that's available on the web is usually for like the RC version or the beta version, because that's where people want to get a jump, you know, on their blog posts and things. And so those have the most Bing Google love, you know, and, and mm -hmm. it's hard to find, you know, what's current. It's, it's hard to find things by date. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. Well, of course, the new docs as well. You should, you should totally chat with um, somebody like uh, Jeff Sanquist, who's built this new docs infrastructure, if you haven't already done so. Um, oh, yes. They've done is, is really around, making it so much easier to edit and manipulate that. You mentioned uh, um, fixing a spelling error. Everything in there is on GitHub itself. So anybody can uh, update the docs and submit a pull request. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, I've also done that a ton of places, both for areas that I'm responsible for and, and other parts of the uh, docs. It's just a, it's just a good way of, of turning your own knowledge into community support and help. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that problem is going away a little bit. But then the other aspect of it is things like connected services that uh, provide more than just documentation steps, but bring it directly into the um, IDE so that you, you can just get up and running without even needing a doc. So nice. So nice. And uh, also there's some new debugging and uh, profiling unit test features that uh, make mobile development easier. Can we speak to those for just a minute? Yeah, gosh, um, there's, uh, well, I've mentioned the live unit testing capability, of right. course, already. Um, there's a few others, things like uh, run to cursor. So when you're in the middle of debugging, instead of having to set up like a temporary breakpoint, or, you know, you're always doing the kind of the step over, step into um, sort of dance where sure. you're kind of trying to get to the place where you know the actual error is occurring. Um, yeah. We've made it much, much easier to just say run until you hit this point and then stop. Um, so that's that's a small but but important uh, feature improvement. Uh, then in the mobile space specifically, we've got a bunch of new profiling tools depending on which platform you're targeting. Uh, Xamarin has its profiler. We built that into Visual Studio 2017. Nice. Cordova has a, a simulate uh, capability which lets you uh, do things like uh, set up uh, sensors like GPS or other sensors and use those to trigger events in your app. Um, what else have we got? Oh, oh, in UWP, we've got uh, this capability now 
um, to do a bunch of additional UI profiling. So you can see the, the, the spots in your app that are using a lot of GPU, a lot of CPU. And uh, we now start providing recommendations for where to go invest in your performance optimization. Um, so a whole bunch of things there. Uh, and then there's there's any number of other features. We've just been working on a poster to try and encapsulate the full lap around Visual Studio in in paper form, and uh, hopefully we'll have that out uh, as we launch the the product. That's a flash to the past. I remember that for like WPF. Yeah. <laughs> well, we used to do. Yeah, if we go back to I don't know PDC O three, PDC O five. We had uh, WinFX posters. That was the original uh, name for .NET Framework three. Right. Um, right. And we, yeah, let's go old school. You know, it's it. Not everybody's going to sit through uh, the video content, uh, so let's let's have something you can pin on your wall. Um, so we've been working to kind of just encapsulate all the different features and uh, some of the other reference points like keyboard shortcuts and uh, Git mnemonics, and just put it all onto one uh, wall chart. So we hope that people will will download and print that out and uh, use that as a way of learning everything that the F twenty seventeen has. Yeah, that's great. And is there quick url for that or where can we find that uh there will be um and i'll send you a link that you can put up with the uh with the uh, this podcast since i haven't even created one yet but we'll we'll do though <laughs> awesome 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 um what about just fundamental changes and you know uh, uh some of the basics of using visual studio I know that you guys are always updating and adding features and making it easier for us. Is there anything that sticks out that people are really going to be blown away by? Yeah, I'd probably call out two things that we call epics internally, just just <laughs> um, broad sort of hygiene things that we've done a lot with with Visual Studio 2017. Um, one is uh, performance. So we've really worked on trying to improve all the kind of core aspects of, of how responsive Visual Studio feels. Uh, things like the very first time you launch Visual Studio, uh, it now runs in about a third the time that it, that VS 2015 took, um, through to things like, uh, just the memory usage, uh, of Visual Studio when it's, when it's running. Um, all those kind of core performance measures. We want it just to feel snappier, more responsive. Um, you'll see uh, uh, one thing we've done to track extensions that are clogging the system up, um, and we now track those and let you know ahead of time if if you're using an extension that is uh, causing VS to slow down. We give you a little yellow bar at the top that just warns you of that, and if it's particularly egregious, you can go <laughs> and uh, disable that extension or suspend its execution. Nice. Uh, yeah, very nice. So that's that's one big area performance that we've worked on in this release. The second one is is just core productivity, um, and so a lot of these little smaller scale features um, that you'll see in in this release are, are in that theme of making you more productive. Whether you're a C sharp or a C plus plus or a VB or an F sharp user, uh, mustn't miss out on those F sharp folk. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. So so lots of little little small. Uh, features uh, that, that that are designed to make that more effective. IntelliSense, we've uh, done some some little neat tweaks to make it easier to uh, just filter on things like uh, classes or events or methods. Um, again, I mentioned some of the keyboard shortcuts. We've done some nice work there. 
um, to make it easier yeah. uh, for a user to, to just be productive there. Uh, and a few other little little tweaks that uh, are skipping my memory right now. But uh, Yeah, I mean, um, what comes to mind is .NET New, the templating engine. Yeah. That yeah, looks pretty so cool. Stuff, the command line for sure. Command line um, stuff, but, yeah. Yeah. And then there's the language productivity features, right? So, you know, C Sharp 7, there's a whole bunch of new language features um, that, that are all, all focused around making you, you more productive with the code you write. So things like um, tuples, so I can go mm. and return um, multiple um, uh, uh, objects from a, from a single method, um, support for binary literals and separators, um, better support for out variables, mm. um, all these little sort of small things that individually uh, seem minor, but when you pack it all together into one release, you realize, gosh, there's there's a lot of stuff here. Also, there's some good DevOps stuff, right, Richard? Absolutely. You know, be, getting continuous integration working smoother, easier to get out the deploys, more repeatability. Like that's oh, those are all things. Yeah. Uh, that, that add up. I guess to, the know. live unit testing falls into that category too. But, yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, I you know the interesting part, and I think this has been true since about 2010. You guys keep making new versions of Studio that are so clean to upgrade to that you can keep doing what you were always doing with the older version, and, and may not even see the new features. <laughs> right, right. Like it makes me wonder if you shouldn't make breaking changes just to force them to learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that that would be considered a great idea, but but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we just move the cheese around a little bit. Yeah, that's it. Shuffle yeah. it about a bit. But it's I know um, Kathleen Dollar does awesome sessions at Dev Intersection on this, where she'll pull up the latest version and you, and do something quickly. And you're sort of like, how did you do that? And then she'll walk you through. Did you know about this shortcut and that approach? And it's like you can be quicker uh, yeah. on the way you interact with Studio. Yeah, and you know it's it's funny. It's it's well worth that that time to just sharpen the saw. You know, you always hear on the on Hacker News or Reddit. You know, people spend all their time talking about uh, learning Vim better or Emacs and becoming a better text editor user. And uh, um, my goodness, you there's plenty of learning to be done on in in those kinds of tools. Um, but but with Visual Studio, just like any other big product, chances are there's a bunch of features that that folk would get benefit out of that are already shipping in the version that, that they have. Mm. Um, and just learning what, what's already out there is, is, is a big productivity upgrade in its own right. Yeah, absolutely. It, it takes a lot of work, but it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. These are things that provide value for you every day once you learn them. Yeah. Well, um, congratulations on a great a launch and a great product. Thank you. Yeah. There's a whole team of folk who are really excited to get this out. Um, Again, I'm just just one humble PM in a big team, but uh, uh, there's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears poured into this release. So we're really excited to see what people think about it. And uh, you know, as usual, you know, plenty of places to uh, let us know how we're doing. There's the user voice uh, site, uservoice.visualstudio. Sorry, visualstudio.uservoice.com. Uh, there's report a problem. Uh, you know that little icon in the top of the title bar, yeah. the little picture of like a person i can't quite figure out what he what, it, what it's supposed to be but uh, <laughs> you can click on that button and every one of those reporter problem things get triaged by a real developer working on the visual studio team so um it doesn't go into the ether it doesn't go into black hole at all and then of course the vs blog is a great place to just track everything that we're working on yeah 
Well, you can get everything that you need at visualstudio.com and, uh, and go ahead and in- install it. Hey, it's only going to take five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. Yeah, all right, Tim. Thanks again. It's been great talking to you, and we'll catch you on the flip side. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.